Welcome to Strength for the Journey from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu at Ko'olau. Our Hope Restored Sermon Series continues. First Pres Associate Pastor Tim Shaw says, Despite the cold challenges of life, there is a coming warmth. We open today's sermon with a video from the movie The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Lucy hides in the wardrobe and discovers the other side of the wardrobe, a white world full of trees and snow. She is full of wonder as she takes in the surreal, unexpected surroundings. And as she walks further into the woods, she finds a lamppost. Well, good morning. That clip is from the film adaptation of C.S. Lewis's beloved story, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. What happens next for Lucy Pevensey sets the stage for the adventures that are ahead. In The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Lucy and her three siblings are sent to the countryside to escape the bombings of London in World War II. And she stumbles into a magical world that she enters through a wardrobe in the home of an old professor who is hosting Lucy, her sister Susan, and two brothers, Edmund and Peter. And Lucy's first encounter, which happens right in the next scene, is with Mr. Tumnus, a seemingly friendly fawn in Narnia, who invites Lucy to his house for tea and cakes. What Lucy is going to discover is that Mr. Tumnus has actually been conscripted into the service of the White Witch. The White Witch is the self-proclaimed and fraudulent evil queen of Narnia. She has ordered all of her subjects to kidnap any human being they meet and deliver them to her. The White Witch knows the prophecy that there will come a day when two daughters of Eve and two sons of Adam will sit on the thrones of Narnia and her tyranny will come to an end. And the White Witch is going to do everything she can to prevent that from happening. Lucy Pevensey is the first daughter of Eve the fawn has ever seen. And he's captivated by her innocence and her kind and trusting nature. So instead of carrying out the evil wishes of the white witch, Mr. Thomas has a change of heart. He risks his life to ensure Lucy's safe return to her world. And while the white witch will make him pay for that act of kindness, he is going to pay for that act of courage. But before Lucy and Mr. Thomas make their way back to the lamppost where they first met, Lucy learns more about the evil witch and what she has done to this once beautiful place called Narnia. For over 100 years, Narnia has been a place where it is always winter, but never Christmas. That's a terrible thing. For those of us who live in the tropics, it's difficult to really grasp the significance of that. If we lived in Minnesota, that would be a terrifying thought. To live in a place where it's always winter and never Christmas would be a horror story. I primarily have very happy thoughts about winter. For me, winter means this, because snow means fun to me. I spent a lot of winters skiing hills packed with snow, so it makes it difficult for me to connect winter with hopelessness. 
My only connection to hopelessness in winter is the fact that I have zero hope and zero memories of doing tricks like those in that video. But when I think about having snow and ice and below freezing temperatures every day for 100 years, I think that would be a nightmare. And if Christmas didn't come every year, if there was no hope of spring, well, that would be too much to bear. I have friends who live in the northern tier of states, and those winters can be long and brutal. Narnia was once a place filled with green trees and bright flowers, but now, because of the icy heart of the White Witch, it's always winter and Christmas never comes. I can't think of a better way to describe a world without hope. Gray, cold, overcast, long hours of darkness. No Christmas is a picture of a world without hope. And Narnia was a place that where it is always winter, but never Christmas. The parable that Jesus tells in today's text from Mark chapter 12 is a parable that takes place in a vineyard where it was always winter and never Christmas. This vineyard that Jesus talks about is a terrible place where people abuse others in an attempt to seize things that don't belong to them. It's a place of greed and selfishness where people even murder other people in an attempt to get what they want. The vineyard was a place where everything they needed was freely given to them, and still that was not enough for the people who lived there. It was a world where people failed to recognize the rightful owner of everything in the vineyard. The vineyard in this parable is a place that describes those selfish, abusive, power-hungry places and people in our world today. The vineyard is a place that seems to be without hope. But if we take a closer look at the text of Scripture we're going to take a look at today, there is indeed a flicker of hope. As I read this passage to you in just a moment, watch for that promise of hope. Christmas will come again in the depth of winter, just as it did in Narnia, when Aslan, the great lion and Christ figure in Lewis's story, Return to Narnia, and the daughters of Eve and the sons of Adam began to live into their destiny that was set before them. So if you're able, would you please stand for the reading of God's holy word? Jesus is addressing his disciples and the scribes, the priests, the elders, the religious leaders of his day. Mark chapter 12, verse 1. Then Jesus began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the season came, he sent a slave to the tenants to collect from them his share of the produce of the vineyard. But they seized him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And again, he, the owner, sent another slave to them. This one they beat over the head and insulted. Then he sent another, and that one they killed. And so it was with many others. Some they beat, and others they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, the owner sent him to them, saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they seized him killed him, and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? 
speaking of Jesus' second coming. He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the capstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eyes. When they, the priests, the scribes, and the elders, realized that he had told this parable against them, they wanted to arrest him. But they feared the crowd, so they left him and went away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. This remarkable parable tells us a lot, of, a lot about these three things. First, the parable tells us something about the human heart. This is a story about our world. The parable tells us some amazing things about God, our Heavenly Father. And the parable tells us something about Jesus, the Son of God, who was sent by his Father to earth at Christmas. The parable really is a stinging indictment of the failures of the people of Israel. The way that that nation again and again did not listen to the teachings and the warnings of prophets and many others who were sent to them to point them back to God. That is what Jesus is talking about when he recites the story of the vineyard owner who sends servants to the people renting the vineyard. This is the tragic history of the people of Israel, particularly its leaders. This is the story that's recorded in the Old Testament and the Hebrew scriptures. But the parable also is a prophetic word to the religious leaders of Jesus' own day. Jesus knows what they're up to. He knows what they're planning to do to silence him, and he calls them out on it. The vineyard in this parable is a place where it is always winter, but never Christmas. But the passage doesn't leave us hopeless. At the end, there is a promise of hope. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Even though Jesus will be rejected, killed, even though he will be put to death on a cross, that is not the end of the story. Just like Aslan, the great lion in the Chronicles of Narnia, Jesus will come back to life. Jesus will become the foundation of God's in-breaking kingdom, and that in-breaking kingdom of God will begin to change everything until that great day when Jesus returns. So even though the parable describes a world where it's always Christmas, always winter and never Christmas, there remains great hope that Christmas will come even in the darkest, most desperate moments and places. That is the hope that we hold on to today. No matter what the circumstances of our life is today. Hope can be restored at Christmas. Near the beginning of the story of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, Lucy goes to the home of Mr. Tumnus and has tea and cakes. When suddenly, Mr. Tumnus begins to cry uncontrollably because he knows what he's really doing is kidnapping her. Sit back and listen to C.S. Lewis as we listen to this audiobook version of this scene from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Mr. Tumnus, do stop. 
Stop at once. You ought to be ashamed of yourself, a great big fawn like you. What on earth are you crying about? Oh, oh, sobbed Mr. Tumnus. I'm crying because I'm such a bad fawn. I don't think you're a bad fawn at all. I think you're a very good fawn. You are the nicest fawn I've ever met. Oh, you wouldn't say that if you knew. No, I'm a bad fawn. I don't suppose there ever was a worse fawn since the beginning of the world. But what have you done? My old father, now. That's his picture over the mantelpiece. He would never have done a thing like this. A thing like what? Like what I've done. Taken surface under the white witch. That's what I am. I'm in the pay of the white witch. The white witch? Who's she? Why, it is she who has got all of Narnia under her thumb. It's she that makes it always winter. Always winter and never Christmas. Think of that. Oh, how awful. But what does she pay you for? Oh, that's the worst of it. I'm a kidnapper for her. That's what I am. Look at me, daughter of Eve. Would you believe that I am the sort of fawn to meet a poor, innocent child in the wood, one that had never done me any harm, and pretend to be friendly with it, and invite it home to my cave, all for the sake of lulling it to sleep, and then handing it over to the White Witch? No, I'm sure you wouldn't do anything of the sort. But I have, said the fawn. Well said Lucy slowly, for she wanted to be truthful and yet not be too hard on him. Well, that was pretty bad, but you're so sorry for it that, that I'm sure you would never do it again. Daughter of Eve, don't you understand? It isn't something I have done. I'm doing it now, this very moment. That is quite a confession by Mr. Tumnus. He admits to Lucy that he is in the process of kidnapping her for the White Witch. But he has a change of heart, and he will not follow through with that plan. That confession is the beginning of Mr. Tumnus's ultimate liberation from the clutches of the White Witch. He admits the truth that he has sold out to her for whatever reason, pressure from others, fear of negative consequences for himself, greed, selfishness. But with that confession, something amazing begins to happen. The fawn decides that he will not turn Lucy over to the white witch. He will make sure that she gets safely back to the path that leads to the wardrobe. That act of holy rebellion will cost Mr. Tumnus a lot, but in the end will lead to his freedom and the liberation of many others. This remarkable parable in, the in Mark chapter 12 tells us something about the human heart. This is a story about us. All of us, for a variety of reasons, are capable of selling out to the self-centered, greedy forces of our own world. Whether it's out of fear 
or a lack of awareness of how our self-absorption and greed is corroding our lives, we can sell out to the forces that are actually destroying our world. We fall into the delusion that we can do whatever we want and will fear no consequences of those choices. That's what the tenants thought in the vineyard. The parable tells us some amazing things about God, our Heavenly Father. Look at how generous he is. The owner of the vineyard is a picture of the God that we worship. He's willing to entrust to humanity what is valuable to him. All that we have ultimately belongs to God. And look at how incredibly patient he is with us. Over and over again, he gives us the opportunity to turn to him and discover what life is really all about. And the parable tells us something about Jesus, the Son of God, who was sent by his Father to earth at Christmas. Jesus is the Son in the parable that the vineyard owner loves. Jesus is the one the owner sends to the people, people who have already abused or killed every other servant the owner has sent. Our God is a God of mercy and grace and patience and love and Jesus comes to our broken planet and gives his life that we might have the hope of everlasting life. The parable also shows us that Jesus was fully aware of what awaited him. He came to earth at Christmas as a helpless child to die for all, even for those this parable exposes. There are a number of responses the scribes, the priests, the elders could have made after hearing that parable. They could have, done, they could have done what Mr. Tumnus did, cut to the heart, convicted of their mistake, their error. They could have confessed what they had done and turned in a new direction. But that's not what the scribes, the priests, and the elders did. Instead, they set out to silence Jesus because they were unwilling to hear the truth that he proclaimed to them. And finally, the passage shows us that Jesus knew that in the end, death would not be the final word. Instead, life would triumph over death and evil, and his life would be the foundation of God's kingdom on earth. That's the glimmer of hope in this otherwise bleak and wintry passage. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis is a story about hope that comes in the depths of winter. But it's not a story only about the courage of the daughters of Eve and the sons of Adam. It is a hope that comes from another place, from one who enters our world to put things right. This parable is a very challenging scripture. The parable that Jesus tells is a sobering picture of the human story gone horribly wrong. But in the middle of that broken story, the Son of God comes at Christmas. He comes from outside of our world with light, the light we need, the hope that we need. Listen to pastor and author Tim Keller. The message of Christianity is things really are this bad and we can't heal or save ourselves. Things really are this dark Nevertheless, there is hope. The Christmas message is that on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. 
Notice that it does not say that from the world a light has sprung, but upon the world a light has dawned. It has come to us from outside our world. There is light outside of this world, and Jesus has brought that light to save us. Indeed, he is the light. That is the hope of Christmas. I've got one more clip to show you before we're done today. It's the scene in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe where the holy rebellion that's been underway in Narnia is reaching its crescendo. There's a spoiler alert here. Aslan, the Christ figure in the story, gives his life for the most bad-tempered, argumentative, self-centered, and greedy member of the Pevensey family, the youngest boy whose name is Edmund. And while Edmund was still under the spell of the White Witch, Edmund has this small revelation as he's with the White Witch and sees a family of animals celebrating Christmas. Father Christmas had come. And that is so infuriates the White Witch that she turns those animals into stone. C.S. Lewis writes about Edmund's reaction to what happened. He writes, and Edmund for the first time in this story felt sorry for someone besides himself. Edmund's stony heart is softening. Eventually the White Witch is going to murder Edmund, but he's rescued just in time by Aslan's followers. Edmund then has a long private conversation with Aslan. And it is after that conversation that Aslan gives his life for selfish, greedy Edmund. And Edmund's life changes dramatically. He asks his brother and sisters to forgive him. And they do. He becomes a valuable part of Aslan's army, attacking the White Witch when everyone else is too frightened to do so. Here is the final battle scene with the White Witch. This is a picture of the second coming of Christ. At the beginning of the clip, the White Witch is still confident that endless winter is going to return because she has killed Aslan and destroyed the hopes of the people of Narnia. But she's wrong about that. You're going to have to run it yourself to see what happens. <laughs> hope does come in winter. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the hope that we proclaim because Jesus came at Christmas time. That's the message of Christmas. It's also the message that the gospel proclaims that one day, when Jesus Christ will return, hope will be restored in our world. Hope comes from outside our world, right in the middle of our pain, the difficulties, the conflicts, the brokenness in our lives. That hope that comes from beyond our world in Jesus Christ is the sure hope on which we can build a life of hope. Because Jesus has come to be that hope, to bring his hope, we are invited to join his holy rebellion. And we're called to courageously show that hope to the world around us. Our Father, we do pray that you will restore to us hope with whatever situation we find ourselves in today. God, we pray that we would exchange hopelessness for hope, not because of our own skills or abilities to find our way through it, but because you are a God who brings hope, who comes into hopeless situations, to places where it has been winter for a very long time. And you come, and Christmas comes, and hope is restored. 
So God, we open our lives to you. Help us to see your presence in our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'd like to talk or to pray with someone after the service, members of our prayer team ministry would be happy to talk and to pray with you. Hope comes at Christmas time. Receive that hope into your life. Now to him who is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before his presence with exceedingly great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory and honor both now and forevermore. And God's people said, Amen. Our lesson today is, even in the bleakest of times, we have hope because we have Jesus. If you'd like to hear this sermon again, you can listen to and download this and other sermons from the First Prez website, fpchawaii.org. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Join us at one of our worship services on campus at 45550 Kiona Ole Road, Kaneohe, Hawaii, 96744. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 930, and 1111. Follow First Prez on Twitter and Facebook. Download the brand new First Prez app. Watch First Prez sermon videos on our website and on Facebook. And if you need more, call us at 808-532-1111. For Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Prez, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you and thanks for listening. Strength for the Journey is copyright 2018 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu at Ko'olau.